This is the NT Filmmakers Podcast, Episode 7. This is the NT Filmmakers Podcast where we talk to filmmakers and creatives from the Northern Territory of Australia about their projects, their experiences and their challenges. And now, here's your host, Steve Archer. Welcome everyone to the NT Filmmakers Podcast. This is the first of a series of special episodes leading up to the first milestone for the NT Filmmakers Podcast, our 10th episode. In this episode, we'll be hearing some of the script readings from the recent NT Filmmakers Network meetup. These readings were recorded live at the meetup and showcase the amazing talent we have in the NT. We'll be featuring more readings in episode 8, so consider subscribing to get the episodes as soon as they're available. The meetup was sponsored by Castaway, the only talent agency in Darwin. Some of you may remember we spoke to Sarah Price from Castaway in episode 3 of the NT Filmmakers podcast. If you'd like to join Castaway, or you're looking for talent for your next production, you can contact them at kui at castawaynt.com.au. So sit back and relax, I hope you enjoy the show. Age of Bones, uh, Jamon Balolang by Sandra Dubodo. So, um, I may as well say this language note this is an English version of a trilingual script. In general, the Indonesian characters speak Bahasa Indonesian or a Rotanese language excerpt, except where otherwise stipulated. Okay. Mm-hmm. Exterior beach on Rote, early morning. First rays of the sun warm the calm ocean. Tidal credits over ocean. The sun is now blinding on the water. Elderly mariner Abraham stares out at the flat, empty sea. There's a time in the morning when the sun is glistening on the water, and it's hard to tell the sky from the sea. There's a ripple. 17-year-old Ikan and his mate Yanto and Johnny emerge from the waves. Abraham squints, put on, puts on his glasses. It makes your eye ache. It contributes to sending you blind. He tokes off his useless glasses. I think I'm going to drown. But the figures keep coming. Deacon! Exterior veranda of Abraham's house night. All are gathered to celebrate the homecoming of Ikan, Yanto and Johnny. In the light of kerosene lamps we see Ibu, Ikan's mother who's never far from his side. Abraham Yanto, the village priest. Johnny, 11-year-old Nala and other villagers are gathered on a floor mat. There's also Anita an Australian lawyer who's out of her comfort zone. Plates of food and bottles of lemonade are scattered on a mat. A couple of bintangs are being passed around. Abraham clears his throat, puts his arms around the returned boys. I have three muscatis. Yeah, thanks be to God. He joins his hand in prayer. Everyone goes silent and does likewise. They have returned home safely. You were lost. And now you are found again. There were many times we thought you weren't coming home. Interior Ikan's home, day. Ibu is in a newly painted white room, taking down sad strands of tinsel. 
Exterior ocean morning, a little boat made of lontar leaves bobs on the gentle waves. Interior, Ikan's front room, day. Sitting on the floor mat, Bapak looks at his wife, waiting for an answer. Exterior, veranda, Ikan's house, night. And now, here you are, like a miracle. Hey, boo? She's too emotional, so adopts a facade. Yeah? So straight to work tomorrow, the roof's got a leak. Ah, boo. And the goats have knocked down the fence again. They're eating all of the mangoes. The priest passes a plate to Anita, trying to make eye contact. She doesn't look up, but gives a brittle smile. You must have a million stories to tell. He looks expectantly at the boys, who squirm and squirm. Well, maybe later. Bye. Bye. I'm just glad to be home. But you got to tell us. And you must write it down in poetry and song. Otherwise, how the world going to know? The boys smile, sadly. You're better at that, Bai. Okay, but you, you'll have to help me out. Tell me the things. I'm not sure of... Um... Interior Ikan's home, first light, the front room of a simple Watanese home. Let's see. Once upon a time, there were a boy who lived with his parents on a beautiful island. A thin strip of light hits 15-year-old Ikan who sleeps on a mat. The boy's name was Ikan. Well, the priest baptized him, Jacob, but nobody called him that. They called him Ikan, or fish, because he spent his day in the sea just like a fish. <laughs> now, Ikan was like most teenage boy. Ikan, interior, back veranda, kitchen, first light. Ikan's dad, Bapak, stirs a packet of coffee into some hot water. Interior, Ikan's home, first light. Industrious. Bapak brings his coffee in. Ikan. He doesn't stir. Hard working. Bapak shakes him. Eager to get to work in the morning. Jakob, Manuzia Ikan. Ikan rolls over, grunting. You catching fish? Catching dreams. Is it a big one? Very long. Will it buy you a phone? Don't want a phone. You'd be disturbing me all the time. Ikan! Oh, God. <laughs> Ikan covers his head with his sarong. Wake up, lazy bones! Ibu enters the front room with a package. She rattles the bag next to his head that makes him spring to life. He checks the contents. He's disappointed. Where's the chicken? You ate it all. So, there's only rice? Yep. Until you bring me a fish. And here's that number. Send me a message if you're going to be late. I won't be late. Use Yanto's phone. I won't be late. I'm tired of it, Khan. Defeated, he pockets the number, looks around for his shoes at the front door where Bapak sits, sipping coffee. Where's my shoes? I'll say where they belong. The goats will eat them. Don't wear them inside. <laughs> don't feed them to the goats. Ikan! Please, please don't feed them to the goats. Well, not without sauce. <laughs> he can't flick some rice at his dad as he passes. Bapak slaps his son's ass. Go on, get your mother a fish. A big one, okay? Don't come home without one. He departs, throwing over his shoulder habitually. Love you. Yeah, yeah, say it with a fish. <laughs> Love you too, lazy jits. Exterior, Abraham's party, night. And he can't landed a fish. Hey? 
A big one, salmon. Bayou took it. Who's Bayou? This this smarmy guy from Jakarta. He jumps up, assuming a smarmy manner. I'm Bayou. I'm from Jakarta. He wanted the fish. <laughs> he offered us work. Good money too. Let's call it four and a half. Exterior beach late afternoon, overlapping with Bayou, a cool-looking Javanese dude with a ponytail, <laughs> his hands extended to a 17-year-old Johnny. Four and a half for the three of you. And I get the fish. Seven. Johnny checks Bayou's eyes, then shakes. It's my fish. Shut up, Can. We're doing business. <laughs> Interior Johnny's room, afternoon. Johnny and 13-year-old Susie are on a mattress beneath a Guns N' Roses poster. Johnny is studying a form pen poised. The young businessman had family responsibilities. Two little sisters he was putting through school. The oldest, Susie, was very smart, much smarter than Johnny. Johnny reads slowly. Name of enroll E. Don't worry about that. I filled it in here. She points to the spot where he has to sign and looks meaningfully at the doorway where Auntie Nukula waits. Nukula. Auntie Nukula remembers. Susie got 99% for a test. Pupitri says she could be a doctor. Oh yeah? 99% hey? What happened to the other 1%? Susie slaps him. She says maybe I can do SMA in two years. Save some money, yeah? Auntie waits expectantly. Susie waits expectantly. Eight-year-old Nala squeezes into the room. Johnny looks up at Susie. I don't have the fee, sis. Beep. You got paid yesterday. I had to buy a tyre. Johnny! Beep. Well, you still have to pay for it. Of course he will. Susie's going to big school. I won't read deep. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You've got to go to school. Susie beams at her older brother, hugs him tight around the neck. He looks worried. Exterior, Abraham's party, night. He was going to pay us when he got back, and we were going to share it. Share? Exterior beach, late afternoon. I was going to give it to my mum. Mummy's boy, yeah. What's your mother going to care when you bring home a million? Ikan does the maths. A million and a half. I get more. I'm the manager. Exterior, Abraham's party, night. Abraham. A nope. million, eh? Who's Anita? Jessica. Oh, yeah. What's, okay. What's that? A hundred bucks? Ibu. But for what? Didn't you ask him? Just yeah. a few days' work on a boat. A bit of cargo came in from Jakarta. I need it moved. Knew it sounded fishing. Fishing. Exterior, Yanto's doorstep, sunset. Electronic dance music is playing. The three boys sit on the front doorstep, smoking. Yanto is fixing an electrical cord. Ikan drapes an arm over his shoulder. But you have to come. All of us together. The three musketeers. Yanto, you're coming, okay? Palo Pasir. It's not very far. I know, Palo Pasir. The burial ground. You're not really selling it, Khan. It's just a couple of days at sea. Two coy teenage girls, Desi and Jeanette, 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 approach. Girls! What's happening? They lounge at the gate, all, homo, all hormones, <laughs> but keeping it together. Making big money, all three of us. Hey, Yonto. Yonto? He squirms, put on the spot. Uh, yeah, on a boat, it's... Uh... A fishing boat, big nets, gonna go... Oh, 
Do you want to go out all night? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Desi grabs her hands, her friend's arm. Let's go. As they walk away, Jeanette smiles back at the cute boy who, is, who has to pretend he doesn't notice in front of his smirking <laughs> friends. Exterior, Abraham's party night. The power of love, hey? He darts a quick look at Anita. Nothing. She just liked me. Ah, uh, you were smitten. We saw you down the beach. Exterior, rock wall, beach, sunset. Sassando plays. Jeanette sits around about a meter from Yanto. They're bathed in a golden light. They have no idea what to do or say. Eventually, Yanto nudges her with his shoulder, saying... Jeanette? She nudges back, imitates. Yanto? He goes again. Jeanette? She giggles at his inanity, looks down, stretches her toes. Yanto's gazing at her adorable cheeks. I won't be long, okay? He leans in to kiss her. Ikan and Johnny smother laughs from behind a rock. Exterior, Yanto's doorstep, sunset. You've got to come now. You can get her something nice. Johnny jumps up. Right, supplies. How much you got? They search their pockets for scraps of money. As Ikan drags out his cash, he finds a note with a phone number on it. He hesitates, puts it back in his pocket. Exterior, Abraham's party, night. Ikan is studying the tattered old phone number. I wish you'd called me. He looks at his mother, folds the note up. Yeah. Interior, Ikan's house, night. Wind chimes stir, a cigarette lighter flicks a flame. Ikan shoves a few things into a plastic bag. Interior, Johnny's house, night. Johnny creeps past his sister Matt, sister's mats in the front room. He pauses for a second to look at them. Exterior, village road, night. Yanto walks down the dark road with his backpack. A dog barks here and there. Exterior, Ikan's yard, night. Ikan tries to close his gate. A goat pushes in. Ikan wrestles with the goat. At last, success. Ikan nods to, nods to acknowledge his friend Yanto on the road. Yanto raises his eyebrows. Interior, Johnny's house, night. Johnny is just about to shut the door when Nala is there. What are you doing? Exterior, Abraham's party, night. I saw him going. She wanted to come. You were mean. You said, go back to sleep, Nala. Interior, Johnny's house, night. I'm telling you. He lifts his hand to smack her. That starts her crying. <laughs> he squats down, shushing her, takes her by the shoulders. I'm going to make some money, okay? So you girls can finish school. Do you want that? She nods, wipes her tears. He gets up. He's stuck for words. Shrugs. Tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tomorrow. Mysteria Abraham's party night. 11-year-old Nala gives Johnny a serious look. He shrugs. I didn't know exactly. Khan said it might be a day Three long. days there, three back. Abraham? What kind of books? Exterior mangrove swamp party night. The party has moved to the mangroves where boats are moored. Tides in, the boats are floating, knocking into each other. Ikan chooses one. Like this one by... Johnny was already on it. Johnny jumps on board. I'm coming this time. Start her up. She jumps on too. Johnny pretends to start the engine. Nala provides cutting sounds. Johnny looks out across at the beach. He's just stuffing around. It was Ikan. Ikan takes the phone number out of his pocket. Exterior, mangrove swamp, night. 15-year-old Ikan clutches a scrap of paper with the phone number. Maybe I should send a message. Okay then, here. He proffers an old Nokia. Johnny gestures, what the, from the phone, from the boat? But she'll say I can't go. Really? I don't know. Can't. 
Message, no message. The tide's going out. You were the one who talked me into this. Ikan looks at his friend, wedges the phone number into the shoe dangling from his neck. Treats me like a bloody baby. He walks into the shallows. Exterior mangrove party, night. Ibu looks inquiringly at 17-year-old Ikan who sits beside her on the shore. I just wanted to show you. Ibu nods. I woke up, you know, that night. Ikan, interior Ikan's house, night. Wind chimes. Ibu lights a match in the empty room. Ikan? A sleepy bapak joins her, clocks the empty mat. Mm. Probably with that yanto. Music. Music all night long. He leaves. A light wind passes through the chimes. Exterior mangrove party, night. The three teens and Nala putting are on the boat. They all wear sailors' bandanas and sway with the waves. Ikan looks up into the sky, smiles at the stars. He's in his element. Abraham, Ibu and a bunch of villagers watch from the shore. Ah, my little captain, the boat was safe in your hands. Maybe by... But then we picked up the cargo. Everyone on the beach looks around. You be the cargo. Oh. People? Yeah. Just pretend you're a refugee running from soldiers. Nala assumes a fierce face. A few more villagers jump on the short on the boat, assume bandanas, sway. But there were a lot more people than this. The actors break out of character, convert bandanas and sarongs into quick puppets. Now there are twice as many, reassuming their sways. That's better. He resumes character at the rudder. Johnny, in character, surveys all the heads dismayed. We can't take all of these. Let's turn back. But we'll get into trouble. The last refugee leaps in. He's a keen actor. Quick, police, drive, drive, drive! The boy looks around, bewildered, trapped. Johnny revs the putting engine. The passengers sway as they head off. Ikan tries to cheer the trio. It's only Palo Pasir. <laughs> Anima, exterior beach. A crescent moon rises over the ocean. The light dances upon the waves, liquid mercury. A silhouette moves and changes shape, eventually separates into two bodies. Amania, 19, and Destro, 25, are kissing on the sand. Destro tries to undo her blouse. I can't work anymore. Amania pushes him away. Not until we're married. Otherwise it's not right. Don't you love me? Of course I do. I'm here with you now. Isn't that enough? Destro takes a swig of his arak. He offers it to Amania, but she shakes her head. She takes a cigarette from Destro's packet and lights it. Amania lies on her back and inhales as she stares up at the moon. Isn't the moon beautiful? Everywhere I go, she's always there, watching over us. Destro doesn't look up. He is staring at Amania's knees, uncovered by her dress. He places his hand on her knee, gently swirling his index finger. We have been in this for six months already. His arm moves down her leg and she brushes it away. <coughs> you are my princess, Amanda. Destro takes another swig and swiftly sits on top of Amania, kissing her passionately. He takes her hands and holds them above her head. She kisses him back, swept up in the passion again. <laughs> then... Yeah, but he's whispering, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> you know you want to. 
Like... <laughs> <laughs> and Destro starts to pull up her dress. <clears throat> what are you doing? Destro starts to pull down her underpants, and Domania squirms free to pull them back. Stop it, Destro. I told you already. Suddenly, he slaps her across the face. You should respect me. Amania is in a state of shock. Tears well in her eyes. I, I, I don't want to hurt you. Destro starts to pull open her blouse, even breaking some of the bu- uh, buttons. Close up on Amania's eyes, reflecting the moon above. An eagle flies overhead, crossing the moon. Should Amania- be a bat. Armenia closes her eyes like she is giving in. A tear falls from her eye to the sand. The wind picks up. We hear the sound of a zip opening. Armenia's eyes shoot open, revealing a wild cat's eyes. She hisses. Destro looks up as she scratches his face viciously, her nails now like claws. Destro jumps off Armenia, blood seeping from the wounds across his face. You crazy bitch! Destro steps back and pulls his pants back on. Fuck you, slur. Destro spits on Amania and she falls back to the ground. She stares up at the sky again, her eyes back to normal as she catches her breath. Destro's bike motor growls to life. He tears away as Amania remains on the sand, eyes locked to the moon. Above, the moon watches it all. The sound of a key unlocking a door. Cut to interior, Amma's home. The front door opens and Amania enters, frail and exhausted. Her head is hung low, her face bruised. She holds her blouse together. In the next room, Amania's mother, Mama Lily, 40, sits at her sewing machine, watching a loud Indonesian soap opera on the television where a young lady is crying melodramatically. Aman, why are you home so late? Where have you been? Amma stands in the doorway, but it is too dark for her mother to see her face. There's static on the TV suddenly. Sorry, Mum. All the buses were finished and I had to walk home. Whoa, are you crazy? Am- Sorry, how did I stop your name? Amania. Amania? A woman should not be walking the streets in the dark alone. Anything could have happened to you. The closer Amania comes, the fuzzier the television reception, until the signal is just static. Amma turns away, trying not to let her mother see her bruises. While you were out with your boyfriend, I needed help cleaning the house. You always promise me and you never do it. Mama, I'll do it tomorrow. Wait until you have children and they treat you the same way as you do to me. While her mother keeps talking, Amma slinks into her bedroom quiet, silently and closes the door. You know about karma? You always speak about it, but do you know what it means? Interior, Amania's bedroom. Amania gets changed out of her torn dress and falls into her bed. Her cat, Maya jumps up onto the bed and nudges its head against her, purring. Hello, Maya. Amania strokes the cat and holds it against her chest and begins to sob quietly, but no tears come out. Suddenly, Lily opens the door. What's wrong with you, Emma? I am talking to you and you close the door on me. Please, just leave me alone. You cannot just ignore your mother. I brought you to this world. I give you life, but you never listen to me. Amania looks away and Mama Lily now sees the bruises. Miss Targa, what has happened to you? Mama Lily comes closer to Amania and gently touches the bruising on, of, her, of her face. Amania flinches but says nothing. She tries to get up but then collapses into her mother's arms. Lily embraces Amania as she trembles with tears. Interior bedroom later. Smoke curls from an incense stick. 
Amania sleeps in her bed with Maya curled up next to her. A candle burns. In the darkness, Amma's forehead emits a gentle glow. Cut to interior zoo, night. Amania is crouching inside a small cage. She touches around all walls of the cage, but it is solid shut. She feels the urge to scream, but cannot make a sound. She begins to breathe heavily, panicking. Through the bars of the cage, a strange animal approaches. It resembles a white cat, but has an owl face with one green eye and one red eye. From its rear is a bushy fox-like a bushy fox-like tail. Amma turns her head to one side, and the cat does the same, as if mirroring her. Amania notices an Egyptian unk dangling from the animal's collar. She is surprised to find that she is wearing the necklace around her own neck. When she looks up, the animal is gone. Amania uses the key in the lock and the door of the cage opens. She steps out cautiously. She is surrounded by cages. It is a zoo full of wild animals. As she walks, she is watched by the animals still in their cages. She starts to run until she comes to a wall that she climbs over. Amania is now standing in a farm. She is naked and vulnerable. In the distance, there are searchlights and the sound of vicious dogs baying for her blood. Amania runs, but the dogs are right behind her. Blood rushes through her veins. She trips and falls, but continues to scramble through the undergrowth, crawling on all fours. The barking of mad dogs echo in her unconscious. Finally, she comes to a wild forest on the edge of the farm. As she enters, she becomes a wolf, leaping through the forest. The dogs and spotlights continue to chase her. The wolf comes to a large barbed wire fence, too high to climb over. The dogs catch up with her, growling and bloodthirsty. Saliva drips from their sharp teeth. The dogs attack and the wolf fights back, ripping them to pieces. The dogs squeal and run away. The wolf stares up at the moon, which has now turned blood red. She howls. Once again, the wolf is a mania, naked, with blood all over her face, dripping down her chest and over her breasts. Interior, bedroom. Amania wakes in a start. Maya, her cat, is sitting on her chest, staring at her. One of Maya's eyes are blue and the other is red. The cat turns its head as if she was watching the whole dream take place in the astral. There is a knock on the door and Lily sticks her head in. It's time to go. Interior, church. Amma and Lily sit in the front row of a church service. At the pulpit stands Father Joshua, 55, a loud, enthusiastic priest who holds a Bible in one hand and points to the sky with his other. There is a beast that lies within the hearts of all men. It is the base animal instinct, the lower impulses that comes from our flesh and blood and creates sin. The earth is a battleground for our souls, and mankind is caught between the sacred and the profane. That is our destiny. But God has a greater plan for us. The world of the spirit is real, and it is beyond this world in the kingdom of eternal life. That is why we must resist the crude impulses of our physical forms. The sinful temptations of lust and desire. Deny the beast. Deny the shadow. And look only to the light. For that is where you will find true salvation. Remember, God is always watching my children. That is why you must act only in the way of the light. 
Firman Tuhan has said in Bahasa Indonesian. Firman Tuhan. Everyone claps and shouts, including Mama Lily. Amania sits unmoved. The priest notices her blankness. Now, my children, today we've been asked to conduct, conduct a special cleansing ceremony. Lily? Father Joshua points towards Amania and Mama Lily. Everyone in the church looks to them. Mama Lily smiles nervously as she nudges Ama to stand up. Go to him, Mama. Reluctantly, Amania stands and approaches the priest. Your mother tells me that you've been facing a lot of struggle in this moment with your own demons. We will help relieve you from this evil, this pain, the darkness. Father Joshua blesses holy water, holding the chalice in his left hand whilst he covers the top of the cup with his right. He then puts his right palm on Amos' third eye. Close your eyes in front of the Lord. He starts to mumble a prayer. Joshua splashes the water on Amos' face. He places his thumb upon her forehead and makes the cross. Amos flinches and scrunches her face whilst, while closing her eyes. I cast, thee out of sat I cast thee out, Satan. Leave this body. With his right palm, he pushes her forehead with huge force. Amania falls backwards, unprepared. She's caught from behind by a group of women. Amania lays still in her arms. More people in the church walk towards the front and touch the edges of her body. They all start chanting. Amania tries to struggle free, but people hold her hands down. We bless you on your journey back to the light of all. Joshua holds a Bible against her head, and she wakes up, gasping for air. <laughs> Cut to interior car. Lily drives the car while Amor is silent in the passenger seat. Lily looks at her, concerned. Are you feeling better? Just take me home. I have to go to work. Interior clothing store. In a trendy clothing store, Amania helps... Adek. Adek, 21, a Muslim woman as she chooses clothes. So how can I help you? Oh, oh we don't have an addict. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. I need something for my university graduation. Amania and the woman look at various different clothes. They walk past a lingerie section. She comes to a special area of scarves. Adek tries on a few. She rearranges her scarf to make it a bit more funky. How about this? My husband mightn't like it. Why should he tell you how to dress? I think you look really sophisticated. Adek smiles. Amma's phone beeps. She looks at it. There is a dozen Facebook notifications. Sorry, will you excuse me for a second? Amania walks into a change room and checks the rest of the messages. Facebook notifications. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Amania, you whore. We know what you did. Why don't you come and suck me off too, bitch? <laughs> Amania is upset and begins to break down. The light in the room begins to blink on and off. Everything begins to spin. She catches a glimpse of herself in the mirror. She sees herself transformed into, into some kind of half-human, half-animal monster. There is a loud knock on the door. Manager. Okay, Nitesh. Uh, what are you doing? We have customer outing here. Amania blinks and wakes up. What is happening to her? I'm sorry. I have some personal things going on. 
pull yourself together. We have customer waiting. Amenia hides her phone and opens the door. Amma walks out of the changing room, visibly shaking. She notices the manager is tending to a group of men. She walks out of the shop and doesn't look back. Interior, home, evening. It's an Amma. Amma gets home. Mama Lily is sitting in the kitchen with Tante Yuni, 65, Amania's aunt. Oh, okay, that's the name. Yuni, yep. Don't tell Father, no. Don't tell Father Joseph, but I asked your Tante to come over and help you. Yeah, and it's supposed to be Joshua, but I don't know. This it says Joseph. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Mama Lily hesitates and then leaves the room. You need choose her betel nut. Betel nut. Betel nut. And <laughs> studies Amma's face. She smiles a big toothless smile. The universe has some special plans for you, little one. What's happening to me, Tanta? Don't worry. Our family has a special blood running through us. Your mother sees it as a curse to do her religion. Actually, it's a gift. I feel like I'm going crazy. You're transforming into what you're meant to be. I'm scared. Uni makes a potion of poisonous snake venom, venom and other plants and leaves. The caterpillar gets scared when it's making when it's making its its cocoon or something. Yeah, it's about to become a butterfly or the seed that's about to become a tree. Uni eats betel nut with lime powder and then spits it, spits in it before passing a cup to Amania. Amma doesn't want to drink it, but Uni holds it out closer, looking her dead in the eye. This is serious. Everything has to change. Otherwise, nothing would be able to grow. That's the way it has always been. Amania closes her eyes and swallows the tea grudgingly. Rest now, little bird. Let the medicine do its work. Uni places her hands over Amania's face and closes her eyes. Your ancestors are watching over you. In the morning, you'll come back to unity. Interior, bedroom. Amania is lying in bed. She begins to toss and turn. She is woken by the beep of a text message. Destro's message. I've never said anything about you. Don't be so paranoid. She texts back. Then why am I getting harassed suddenly? Why do you think it matters? Who cares? I care. Isn't that enough? Amania waits, but he doesn't reply. She tries to go back to sleep, but she can't. She gets up and opens the window. Amma looks back one last time and then climbs out of the window into the dark night outside. Interior nightclub. Night. Amania is feeling slightly woozy as she walks into a dark nightclub. Loud, obnoxious techno, techno plays on the speakers. Destro stands with a group of young men, laughing and drinking beer. One of them sees her and points her out. He turns around surprised. What are you doing here? I thought we should talk about what happened. It's okay, I forgive you. Destro gives her an awkward hug. She is surprised and doesn't know how to react to this. You do? I know something you lose control. Destro pats her head like an animal. Amania sees the other men are laughing behind her back. 
What did you tell everyone about me? I don't know. What, what you're talking about? You are my princess, remember? She hears whispers as if she has a psychic window to their thoughts. You're lying. No, I'm not. I can tell. You told them I was a slut, didn't you? You were acting crazy again. Calm down, Mama. She looks back at Destro, angry. No, I won't calm down. You disgust me. Emma takes off her ring and throws it at him. It hits him in the eye and flies into the junk. He runs to find it. Do you know how much that cost? Fuck off, Destro. What happened to your mum? You are changed. We can't stay the same forever. That's not what life's about. Amma storms out of the garage. Exterior streets, uh, to a nightclub. I'm taking notes, I'm taking notes. Exterior streets, twilight. The sun is setting over the dusty horizon of the city. <laughs> Nightclub, garage, same thing. <laughs> really similar. It's a garage nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I was like, it was in the midst of like the translation. Yeah, so we thought it was going to be like a mechanic. We've actually made all the latest versions in the bar, so I tried to speak it. This is the last English version. Oh yeah, anyway, uh, anyway. it's alright. Mm. Keep going. Exterior streets, twilight. The sun is setting over the dusty horizon of the city. Emma walks through the dirty streets, dazed, as if she has been poisoned. The streetlights come in and out of blur, and all she can do is follow the direction of the moon. She takes off her shoes and walks barefoot. She can hear everyone's thoughts echoing through her mind. From the corner of her eyes, Amma begins to see hallucinations. The dream world and the real world emerging into one. Men watch her from their buildings. Some call out to her. Another two begin to follow her like predators. She can see their dark souls circling around their hearts, lust in their eyes. She hisses at them like a snake about to strike, scaring them off. Behind her, a series of animals following, are following her. A cat, a wolf, a snake. She catches sight of herself in a shop window when she is a monster, hair bedraggled, black shadows under her eyes, strange feather-like protrusions from her back. Claws on her hands. She keeps going. Exterior, beach, night. Amma arrives at an ocean and stumbles down onto the beach. She looks up at the stars in the sky above her and the moon which outshines them all. Amma places her hands into the sand. She makes shapes in the sand with a stick. Cosmic hieroglyphs like cork like crop circles <laughs> <laughs> that seem to glow with phosphorescence. Big word. She bends down and hums into the sand. It vibrates as if alive, the sound echoing into space. She looks up and sees a halo illuminating the moon, Venus and Mars. She stares, at rap she stares in rapt amazement at the triangle and the vast Milky Way pulsating behind them. Suddenly, she hears the sounds of wolves howling all around her from the darkness. Who's there? The howling stops suddenly. For a moment, all is quiet. Then there is the sound of laughter. Wild, raucous cackling as if a gang of women have been watching her from the shadows. I'm not scared of you. The laughter stops. 
Above her, Amma sees an eagle circling under the moon. Amma cups her hand with sand and raises it up to the sky. She lets it run through her fingers, and as it falls in slow motion, she can see it is no longer merely sand, but millions of tiny stars glistening, glistening and twinkling as they fall onto her body. She places her hands together in prayer and brings them to her chest. She slowly undoes the buttons of her blouse and dress and lets them fall to the ground. She rubs the sand all over her body and lets it cover her skin. As she does, her eyes begin to change shape. We see, which we see moving from circular to reptilian to a double iris. Vesica Pisces. Vesica Pisces, of course. <laughs> when they come back together, Amma is looking straight through the camera. She brings her hands up to her face. Her fingernails are now claws and begin to scratch at her own cheeks, tearing off her skin as, he, as she does. Underneath, she reveals a mixture of scales and fur. Feathers sprout from her back, forming wings. She hunches over, covered in all the skin of Animalia, and begins to dance under the moonlight. Amania sings. Her voice moves from a hiss to a growl to a scream, at which point she arches back and throws off the skin of feathers and fur, dropping it to the sand like a thick woolly coat. She stands tall now, a pure shimmering light in the soft shape of a body. The light begins to lift off from the ground, rising into the sky. Slowly, she floats higher and higher until she disappears into the sea of stars above, becoming one with the cosmos itself. The end. Robber in a Bar by Sean Guy. The bar is shut for the night. Both bartenders look tired. Their uniforms are grimy, are in the middle of packing up, washing glasses, etc. Bartender one is standing closest to the till and is the more experienced of the two, the shift manager. The two bartenders are in the middle of packing up the bar after a long, tiring shift. Both are visibly exhausted, putting the last few glasses away from the drying rack, wiping down the benches. Scene begins with the criminal appearing from the bathroom and walking towards the bar. Ah, uh, excuse me, sir, you can't be here. I can be wherever I want. Oh, fuck. We don't want any trouble. Neither do I. Empty the till. Oh, that's... <laughs> I just locked it. So open it. I don't want to shoot you, but I swear to God I will. Uh, what can I do? Stay out the fucking way. Actually, make me a drink. Uh... Just do what he says. Um, what would you like? Got any good scotch? We have Grant's and, um, Monkey Shoulder and the house is Johnny Walker Red Label. I'm gonna ask the question again. Do you have any good scotch? I'm talking like single malt. Um, how do I tell how many malts there are? Fucking hell! <laughs> Just look at the label. Something over 18 years old, preferably. Um, I can't see any. Would they be out the back? And what the fuck is taking you so long? I can't find the key. Oh my god, just put through a fucking sale. For what? 
For anything, it's just to get the till open. Oh, oh, right, good thinking. Just do coke. That's 450. What? <laughs> sorry, sorry, just a habit. What are you doing now? Pre-funding the sale. I don't want the till to be out. I have news for you, pal. The till is going to be out. Empty it. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, at least if I refund the sale, the stock levels won't be out. I don't want to have to... I don't want to look like we have eight bottles of coke in the fridge when there's actually seven and the boss will... Just do it! Have you found anything yet? What about Jameson? It's got a nice green label. It's an Irish whiskey, you moron. <laughs> Forget it. We'll just do a cocktail. Looks like we have the time. Can you make a Japanese slipper? Of course. Great. Get a move on. What are those? Recipe sheets. You need a recipe sheet for a Japanese slipper. It's only got three fucking ingredients. Oh. Is one of them sake? Definitely not. Midori, Contro and lemon. Don't ask him to rim the glass. Believe me, I wasn't going to. <laughs> Where's the Midori? It's the... It's the fucking green one. <clears throat> My recipe sheet says melon liquor. Just... Figure it out. Are you done yet? Almost. There's a bit, fair bit of cashing today. I think... Oh. Oh shit, I'm so sorry. I'm just gonna pick this up. I'm going to prison. <laughs> you know what? New plan. If you two aren't both done in three minutes, I'll shoot you both and then me. We're doing the best we can. It's hard to relax in these circumstances. Anyway, you're getting the drink for free, so don't complain. For free? The drink is going to cost me everything. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not good with cocktails. I'm a teeter... teetle... a totes... Tea, a what? A uh, teetotaler. <laughs> teetotaler? Oh, that's the one. You're telling me you're a bartender who doesn't drink? Well, I need the money. So, um, how much of each? An ounce. How do I measure an ounce? It's 30 mil, a standard... Sh just tip it all in, I don't even care oh, anymore. great. <laughs> this time you said the same as the recipe sheet. Combine the ingredients into the shaker, then shake with ice and... Kid, honestly, how fucking old are you? Don't look at him. That's so fucking weird. Answer the question, man. Is he underage? Well, I'm 18, all right. Of course you are. Your RSA was probably the first test you ever took. I take tests all the time. My exams are in two weeks. You're still at school? So, uh, Mr. Gunman, uh, if you don't mind me asking, how did you get in here? I'm pretty sure we locked the doors ten minutes ago. I hid in the bathrooms. Hurry up with the cash and stop making conversation. Are you telling me you didn't even check the bathrooms? That's one of your jobs! One of your few very simple jobs. You have to do that before we shut the doors. I did, I just didn't see him. I bet you opened the door and yelled out, Is anyone in here? I've told you before to check properly each stall. I checked properly he this time. He didn't check properly. He wasn't, I wasn't even hiding in a stall. This is what happens when you don't <laughs> check the stall. I'm sorry. <laughs> do we have crushed ice? It's possible mm. to make crushed ice. All you need is one ingredient and you crush it. <laughs> I feel like you guys are picking on me, which is kind of weird. <laughs> right, where's the ice? It's in the sink. Lost it when we shut the doors. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> and now I shake it. Like this. Absolutely not. Okay, done. Good timing. Hold this. Gun. 
Criminal swaps the gun for a sack of money, swaps the sack of money for the cocktail shaker, then puts the shaker down. A shot of the criminal rolling up his sleeves, close up of right sleeve, close up of left sleeve, criminal starts shaking the shaker properly. <laughs> Bartender one looks at the gun in his hand, then at the criminal, then back at the gun. How do you remember everything about cocktails? They always have such stupid names. I can never... <laughs> Maduri is Japanese for green. The Japanese slipper is the most, one of the f most famous and easy to make cocktails, a simple mixture of sweet and tart flavours that are proven constantly popular. It was created by a genius named Jean-Paul Bourguignon in 1984 at the famous Nietz restaurant in Melbourne. It's also considered a classic by the International Bartenders Association. Get the glass ready, martini glass. Uh, this one. Perfect, you're not a total lost cause. I feel like I'm learning a lot. We should do this again sometime. <laughs> but without the, you know, gun. Criminal right. hands the shaker back to the bar to bartender too. Right, stop the... Criminal snatches the gun from bartender one, oh. picks up the sack of money from the counter. Thanks. Uh, cherry on top. <laughs> We've got those. That's a cherry tomato. I don't even want to know why you have them. Oh, my bad. They're both small and red, you know, so I just... Right, sorry. Okay. Bartender 2 strains the cocktail into the glass and adds a cherry on top. Hands it over to the criminal. Well done, I guess. For the next 30 seconds or so, we're treated to a shot of the criminal sipping at the cocktail. He and both bartenders continue to exchange awkward glances. Bartender 2 checks his phone, scrolls through Facebook, puts phone back in his pocket. Bartender 1 starts wiping a glass in classic bartender style. <laughs> This is... <laughs> this is pretty good. Thanks. That means a lot to me. Alright, so before I leave I have just one more thing to say. I'm actually a friend of your boss. He sent me. This is kind of an undercover boss thing. So don't call the cops the second I leave or anything stupid like that. You know our boss? Sure, me and Mr... Shit. Mr. McMahon, the owner? Yes, Mr. McMahon, that's it. We go way back. We've been <laughs> friends for years. He asked me to do this to see how you'd react under pressure. I think he's going to be very disappointed. But at least we know where we need you to improve. For example, you need to learn a few simple cocktails. What about the recipe sheet? Yes, idiot. And you need to be not so nervous. In fairness, I was under a lot of pressure here. Circumstances notwithstanding, you dropped a bag of money and tried to charge me for opening the till. A lot of pressure. Would you like us to put the money back, sir? The what? Oh, no, that's okay. You're going to keep it. <laughs> Obviously he's not going to keep it. He'll probably just deliver it to Mr McMahon. They probably hang out all the time. They've been friends for years. <laughs> Decades, I'd say. I'm glad you don't really think I'm an idiot, sir. What are you talking about? I meant everything I said. It's fucking painful to watch you make a cocktail. Well, that hurts. <laughs> but you were never going to shoot her. Of course not. I'm a friend of Mr McManus. Mr McMahon. See... <laughs> See, you say, of course not. But you were acting it really well. Like, I was genuinely scared. You were pretty convincing. And the gun is amazing. Oh, hang on, don't. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh. 
Um, Hard cut to black, roll of credits. Bartender tool, 2 pulls the trigger. <coughs> there is a loud gunshot and sounds of shattering glass. Sounds of criminal calling bartender 2 an idiot, idiot. as bartender 1 shouts and screams in ah! Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You are the worst barkeep I've ever seen in my entire fucking life. Oh my arm, oh God, it hurts so much. <laughs> The end. Um, a post credit scene. Black and white security camera footage of Bartender 2 opening the bathroom door and shouting, Last call! Criminal freezes midway through loading his gun and breathes a deep sigh of relief when he realises that the bartender did not actually look inside and the door swings shut. <laughs> The NT Filmmakers Podcast is proudly supported by The Hive, a creative co-working space for Darwin film and creative industry professionals to create, collaborate, focus and network with other filmmakers. The Hive is centrally located at One Pavonia Place, Nightcliffe. For bookings and more information, email screenhub at undergrowthproductions.com. Thanks for joining us in this episode of the NT Filmmakers Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information and most informative interviews about all things filmmaking in the Northern Territory. You can find the show notes for this episode at www.untolddigitalmedia.com.au forward slash podcast. This has been an Untold Digital Media production, copyright 2019.